Uh, <laughs> you know, I spend probably more or just as much time thinking about what is the first thing I say <clears throat> that I do, how do we close it out? It's just always a moment for me because I just feel after that time of praise, I just don't want to move on, but uh, just love the Lord and his presence is truly what we desire. <clears throat> I have an expectation that I want to communicate so that when I give the proper greeting of the day, that you meet my expectations. Is that okay? <laughs> I think it's unhealthy to have un, uh, not communicated expectations. That oftentimes leaves us in a bad place. So I'm going to say good morning, family. And my expectation is that you say good morning back. That's not too odd, right? It's like, oh, what he's going to have us do? I just want you to say good morning. I just want to feel like we're in this place together. Right? But I have to say that because of what I've learned is in my travels, I'll say good morning, and it, it must not be common. I always think that when I say good morning, clearly people are going to say good morning back. But it's like, come on. Like, that's, that's what was that? Right? So I have to do it again. And so just to, to save the trouble of doing it again, I'm just going to go ahead and set that expectation. Now, if it is sad, then we'll do it again. But <laughs> hopefully that's not the case. Good morning, family. And spouses, that's the reason why you want to communicate your expectations, because then they're more likely to be met. You're welcome. Uh, <clears throat> so my name is Michael Darboos. I have the joy of being one of the pastors here at Risen North. If I have not had the chance to meet you, uh, you'll probably be able to catch me out by the door. I'd love to just say hello, uh, introduce myself, and get to know you a little bit better and see if we can't connect. If you're a first-time guest, uh, please Stay for a moment and just let me catch your name and number so that I can harass you to be a second-time guest. Uh, but we just love the fact that we get to gather here and be a family. So thank you for, for being present on this morning. If you are not new to Risen North, then you probably are familiar with our mission statement. Uh, come up here on the screen. So our mission is making disciples because he lives. And when I had last stood before this family on June 13th, we started to unpack the passage of scripture that this mission statement comes from, which is Matthew 28. So that's where we'll be today, Matthew 28, and we'll bounce around to a few other places, but Matthew 28, looking at this great passage so that we can make sure that we are truly living on mission and that when we stand before the Lord, we will be able to give an account for what we believe God has called us to. And so we'll be looking at, again, what's called the Great Commission, and we'll see that there are three commands that make this commission so great. Uh, again, in June, we talked about Jesus calling his disciples to make disciples. Today, we'll be looking at Jesus calling his disciples to baptize disciples. And if the Lord should say the same, next week, we'll dive a little bit deeper into this passage and look at the command where Jesus tells his disciples to teach disciples. So we're going to dive in in just a moment. But before we do, I just want to just pause for a word of prayer. <clears throat> and I want to ask again, you'll hear me say this probably regularly. Uh, enough, uh, but it's because I don't want it to become rote. You know, I genuinely believe that we can't pray enough. So if the accusations, you know, they pray a lot. 
I'll, I'll take that on. That's a, I, that's a good accusation in my humble opinion. But one of the reasons why I like to pray before the sermon is because of what I feel in my heart. And so uh, I was thinking about not doing this because I don't care much for being transparent on live stream. But that's the times that we live in. <clears throat> so I'm going to temper it just a little bit because of the live stream. If it was just us, I'd be even more vulnerable. But uh, just so you know, the tension that I feel uh, right now, even getting ready to go into the word, uh, I've heard some teaching that says, don't start out by reading the scriptures because you can't assume that your audience cares about the word. You have to tell a good story to build the tension to reel the people in. Well, I feel like the Lord has placed on my heart to open up by reading the scriptures. And then someone said, well, don't do a lot of teaching because you'll lose your audience. Do more exhorting and encouraging. In this particular passage, I feel like we're going to be doing a good amount of teaching. So I feel some tension because while I believe with everything in me that this is the way the Lord is leading me, at the same time, I'm human. Right? And I feel that pull to want to be able to tell a good story, captivate the audience, reel them in, and drive it home. But I feel like God is telling me, read the scriptures and teach the text. So in that tension, that makes me feel like this could fall flat. <clears throat> I'm just going to be transparent uh, because I genuinely want you to pray. No, well, we're just going to pray because that's a transition so that he can start reading the Bible. No, I genuinely want you to pray. Pray two ways. One, pray for us that we would have ears to hear and a heart to respond to what the Spirit is going to speak to the church. And then pray for me that the Lord would quiet my soul and that he would speak to me and through me what we need to hear in this hour. So I ask that you would join me in a word of prayer. Father God, we come humbly before your throne of grace knowing that we're desperately dependent. There's no one that could understand your word, much less teach your truth. So if you don't speak, there won't be a word that needs to be heard. But if you speak, we believe that there will be a word spoken that will change our lives. So would you open our hearts to receive? Would you speak to me and through me that I would merely be a vessel but that when we leave this place, we might know, trust, and believe that we heard from the Spirit of the living God and that our lives would never be the same. It's in Jesus' name we pray. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this morning, we're going to be spending a little bit more time looking at the second command of this great commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
but in order to appreciate the beauty and the wonder of this command, we first have to understand what baptism isn't and what baptism is. And we clearly see from Jesus' command that baptism is not a condition for salvation. We see here Jesus says, baptizing them. Who is this them that Christ is speaking about? Well, the them that Jesus is speaking about are those who the disciples went and made disciples of all nations. And we learned on June 13th that back in Matthew 10, Jesus made it clear what the disciples were to do in making disciples. They were to share the gospel, to teach and tell what they had seen and heard from Jesus. And as they went and shared this truth and others received and believed what they were sharing, they would receive Christ. And by receiving Christ, they would become followers of Christ, disciples, and thereby receiving the one who sent Christ, which is the Father. And they will become sons and daughters. So only after being made disciples does Jesus give the command to baptize them. So then you had already would have had to have been saved in order to be baptized. So baptism is not a prerequisite for salvation. It's a privilege for those who have been saved. We'll also have to take a look and see what baptism is. And in order to do that, this is where the tension started to build up in me, we'll have to look at the origin of the word baptism. And so this will be a little bit of a teaching moment, and I pray that you'll bear with me as I believe that it's paramount in order for us to understand the beauty and the wonder of this command. For many of us, if you're holding a Bible, our Bible was translated from the Hebrew for the Old Testament and the New Testament, Cohen Greek, into the English language. Now, because of how long ago that happened for us, it may be hard to imagine that there are some words in our Bible that were not original to the English language. Because the Bible, at least in its totality, was translated back in the 14th century. So we have about 700 years where we've had the full counsel of God in our hands. So it's like, oh, every word is, is a word, clearly. But that's not accurate. There are some words, most words, that were translated into the English language. But there are some words that were transliterated from Hebrew or Greek into the English language. And now this is just a fancy way of saying that they just made some words up. But the way that they went about making these words up was a process. So it wasn't just throwing something, say, I like this sound. No. To transliterate a word is to hear the sounds of the word and then to take those sounds and make a new word in this language that you are transliterating this word to. And so with baptism or baptize, that was a word that was transliterated. So the baptism, that word comes from the Cohen Greek word, which is baptisma, or the word baptize comes from baptizo. You see, this is where like, womp, 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 stay with me for just a few more minutes, and I believe that the Lord will bless us, right? Because the question that we have to ask then is, if there is a word that you can translate one word from into a different language, then why not just translate it? Why do a transliteration? Well, because if I translated this word, you would lose the essence of the word. 
And so I need to take this word and transliterate it so that when you hear this word, if you've never heard it before, so just imagine for a moment that you never heard the word baptism, and someone is reading to you something in your language, and you say baptism, uh, excuse me, baptism, what is that? Huh, great question. I'm glad you asked. Allow me to explain. And so allow me to explain because you've never heard this word before, right? It's a new word in the English language. And so this word in the Cohen Greek actually means literally to dip under, submerge, or immersion. It's going all the way in, right? But it doesn't just mean that's not how it's used for us, and this is why it was transliterated. It more specifically communicates a ceremonial dipping, which then leaves you to ask a question, well, what's the ceremony? This is a great audience. Yeah, I'm just so grateful that the kids are here because you're asking great questions, Becca. Thank you so much. So because you asked that question, let's go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 6 and look at verses 3 through 8 because if we're going to understand baptism and the ceremonial dipping that this was, then we need to look at the Word of God to understand what was happening. And so here in Romans 6, Reading verses 3 through 8, I probably won't read straight through. I may stop in some pockets, so bear with me. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, baptizo, dipped under a ceremonial dipping, into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He said, Paul's right there. We'll go five through eight in just a moment. Here, Paul is telling us that baptism is a burial. Well, when you get dipped under the water... You are being buried, baptism of death. But then when you raise out of the water, he's telling us that we are being raised in the newness of life. So this ceremony is painting a picture that we have been freed from the slavery of sin, and now we are raised to life in Christ. So we'll read a little bit further. For if we have been united with him, Jesus, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Now, I just want to have a pastoral moment here because when we look at verse 6 and see that we're no longer enslaved to sin, someone might think, oh, well, I gave my life to Christ back when I was 10, 20, and now that was back when I was 10 or 20, and now, you know, I've made some mistakes since then. Well, the scriptures didn't say that you would never sin again. It's that you would not be enslaved to sin. Right, And that's where we look at 1 John, and John says that I'm writing this letter to you that you might not sin. But if you do sin, know that you have an advocate, Jesus the Christ, who is making intercession for you. So what is being communicated in this baptism is not that you will never sin again, but you are not enslaved to sin. 
So if you should, then you should also know that you come to the Lord and repent because you're not enslaved to sin. You're not controlled by it. You crucify the flesh and you look to walk with Christ. So when I disobey Christ, I recognize that I have made a mistake and I repent. So just so we're clear, baptism, again, if it's not a prerequisite to salvation, baptism is also not the sign that you are walking on water. No, it's a sign that you are desperately dependent on Christ and now your life is in Christ. So we see then What baptism isn't, it's not a prerequisite for salvation. And I pray that in that very small window of time, because you really could do an entire curriculum on baptism, that we at least have an awareness of what baptism is. It's a ceremonial dipping that demonstrates that the believer has been buried, has died with Christ and has been raised with him and is now living in Christ. And if we could understand this and hold on to this, this truth, then I believe that we can truly begin to see the beauty and the wonder of this command, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. See, because Jesus didn't simply say to baptize them. No, he said, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What Jesus is doing here essentially is giving the 11 disciples that he gave this great commission to a power of attorney. We moved here not too long ago from Durham, North Carolina, uh, back in September of 2020, and we were anticipating closing on the house before we left. We're supposed to close there and then close here, and it's just supposed to be a smooth transition. The Lord said, Michael, I want to teach you a few things about my grace and mercy through this transition, so it didn't happen that smoothly. And so because we were leaving and we didn't close like we thought we were going to close before we left, we had to leave a power of attorney with our realtor. And what this allowed our realtor to do is to sign legally binding documents on behalf of Michael Darboos and Jomar Darboos. And so even though we were 1,200 miles away, when it was time to close, our attorney would sit before the closing, uh, well, our realtor would sit before the attorney and sign documents, Michael and Jomar Darboos. And they would actually receive that as though we were there because we had given her a power of attorney. Well, Jesus, in the same way, is telling his disciples to baptize them, these disciples, those who have received him, in his name, in the Father's name, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, Jesus is saying, on my behalf, I want you to practice this ceremonial dipping, this cleansing from sin and this newness into life on me. So Jesus is saying, as you have received me, now I receive you. This is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's not because I think you're cool and you deserve to be baptized or because it looks like you have your life together and so you deserve to walk on water. No, that's not what this is. It's because Jesus Christ himself commanded that anyone who receives him, he receives them. And now I want you to baptize them so that the world can see 
that not only do you identify with me, but I identify with you. Now, it would take me much more than a day to try to really unpack all of that. So it's my sincere prayer. Holy Spirit, move in every heart as only you can. Because this truth is just too rich for English language to truly capture, for the heart of man to truly hold. But this is what the word teaches us. That because we have received Christ, that reception is reciprocated. And we call that relationship. Jesus is in relationship with those who receive him. So in other words, the father calls you son and daughter. The son calls you friend. And the Holy Spirit calls you home. He makes you his holy habitation, which still, after maybe 12 years of leading, of teaching, of preaching, I still can't wrap my mind around that completely, but the word says it's true. You don't believe me? Good. I want you to take the word's word for it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Listen to the word of God. In him, Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth... The gospel of your salvation and believed in him, Jesus Christ, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So when you receive Jesus, when you believed in him, the word of God, not Michael Darbu, says you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in earthen jars of clay because Christ identifies with you. And that is mind-blowing all by itself. But it goes from silly to absolutely ridiculous. Romans chapter 8. I mean, this really should blow your mind. And it, it's taken everything in me not to just burst at the seams and just run down the aisle. I mean, I just, for the life, I'm like, this is the word of God. I mean, you really got to read this and hold on to it for a minute. It's just, oh, and the word of God says, no, slow down. Read this. Take it in. Listen to the word of God. Seal with the Holy Spirit because you believed in Jesus. Romans 8, 14, and 17. For all who were led by the Spirit, which you've been sealed with, of God are sons of God. And again, here this word in the Cohen Greek actually speaks to sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, this word, Abba, means father, but it's a more endearing term. It's like saying, Daddy. My children call me Poppy. Right? So, it's an endearing. However you, refer, you uh, call your dad, Pa, whatever it is, this is that endearing term. Right? Abba. And then Father speaks to the magnificence of the splendor of our God. He's my personal dad, and he is Father, he is God of all. 
So here, what Paul is doing is using these two terms to show the personal and the eternal nature of our God. And because we are now sons and daughters, we don't call him God, the Almighty. Yes, he is, but we also get to call him Daddy, Poppy, Pa, whatever you want to call Dad. And we also can recognize that Poppy is also Poppy. You know, he, <laughs> we can understand both of that. <laughs> but then it gets to verse 16 and 17. It's like, you could just stop there, put a pin in it, and I am done. But no, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. I love how Paul puts this disclaimer in here. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. It's like the small print. Don't forget to read that. <clears throat> but I mean, David, bring me this chair right here, son. That, that chair right, or any chair, yeah, just. All right, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm a teacher at heart. I'll probably need you to. You can do squats real well. Come, come up here just, just so I can get this picture. <clears throat> so <clears throat> here is Jesus. Now listen, this is a picture, an example. This is not heretical or blasphemous. I am not Jesus. <laughs> David is not Jesus. This is a part in a play. I got to say that. See, that's the problem with live streaming because somebody see, I think he said he Jesus. No, I didn't. <clears throat> didn't say that. I'm playing the part of Jesus so that we can make this point. <clears throat> Jesus is crowned Lord of all, and he earned that right. God the Father has given him the name that's above every other name because he was willing to put on flesh and come and die for the sins of the world. But what did you do? And did nothing but made a mess of things. I love you. <clears throat> you played that guitar so well. You know, but, <clears throat> but what Jesus does... <clears throat> He says, friend, come have a seat. Don't sit all the way down. This is a very flimsy chair. Squat, son. Squat. There you go. Right? He says, sit on this throne with me. Though you have made a mess of your life. Though you have done nothing that could even be remotely close to called good. Because you have received me. And I receive you. Air. Air to the throne. I'm going to give you your arm back in just a moment. <laughs> but I mean, okay. I may need this chair. I just feel so overwhelmed by that reality. What did you do? What did I do? That the creator of the universe, he, could, he would have done well just to call me peasant in his kingdom. Because, Lord, if I could just sneak in through the back door, you know, I just, I just want a few crumbs off the floor. No, Michael, through the front door and have a seat. I saved the spot just for you. Now, if you, again, can understand this truth, what I believe 
is that if you have not been baptized, you probably are wondering why we didn't just put a pool up here. But if you have been baptized, I mean, think about that ceremony that you participated in. Remember the coolness, because there's never a warm pool, is there? I don't know why. It's always cold. Oh, you know, just want to let you know that you're in. <clears throat> Remember the coolness of the water. You went under. And when that water went over you and you came back out, it was a picture of what Christ has done for you. You are clean. And it's not me. Like, I don't baptize you in Michael's name. No, on behalf of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they deem you clean. And says that you are now worthy to be in relationship with a holy and righteous God. And you're an heir to the throne of grace. See, when you think of the Great Commission, if you really understand its greatness, it never gets old. Right, so when we do see somebody receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, our next response, like the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts, there's some water. What's stopping us from, from doing this thing right now? Yes, I want to baptize you in the name of, on behalf of God Almighty. Because he sees you as clean. He sees you in Christ, and you are now his child, heir to the throne with Christ. That's good truth. The question that we need to wrestle with is why don't we always walk in that truth? If we identify with Christ in his death and resurrection, and Christ identifies with us. Again, this was a commandment. The Lord didn't say, hey, Daniel, you, you got saved now? Great. Do you want to be baptized? That wasn't the question. He said, after they get saved, baptize them. Because this is your privilege to know that you identify with Christ and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit identify with you. If we know this, why are we still chasing after other things to give value to my life? If we know this, I am a son. I am a daughter, is what this scripture is telling us, of the most high God. I'm a friend of Jesus Christ himself. The Holy Spirit is all up in me. Now, I love you. But I don't need you to validate me. Now, listen, I'm preaching to myself right now because the reason why I felt insufficient was because I'm thinking I'm going to sit here and read the word. I'm not going to build attention. And then I'm going to sit here and teach. And no one wants to hear about Cohen Greek. What is that, Michael? You know, and I'm like, oh, this is probably going to fall flat. Who cares? I'm not preaching to please you. I'm preaching to please God. But sometimes I care. Right? And we need to wrestle with this. And so this is what I felt like the Lord placed on my heart is, Michael, we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of whose we are and who we are. Because if we know whose we are, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we know who we are, heirs with Christ, 
then we're content with where we are and what we have. I don't need anything extra. I've got God. You can't even say that all politely and smoothly. I've got God. No, that just got a little bit of stink to it. You know, a little swagger. I've got God. And like if I was just a little bit more sassy, I'd put up my finger and wave my head. But that's a little bit more feminine than I'm willing to go right now. But you get my point. Like that just puts some wind in your sail. You roll your shoulders back a little bit. I've got God. I come out that water like a boss and just, <clears throat> hey, what you need? You need the gospel? I'm not got it. You know, I, the Holy Spirit is in me. Jesus says, you are mine and I am yours. And we walk around like we're defeated. Like we don't know our purpose. Oh, golly gee willikers, Bobby, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. You've got God. What do you mean? You don't know what you're going to do. You're going to walk in the goodness of God. So I was just going to run past it as a micro time. And I was going to read just a couple of verses at Ephesians chapter 2. But I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 2. We're just going to look at verses 1 through 19. I think it'll come up on the screen, but now I'm going to tell you the truth. I was going to try and just read through it. Even now, I was thinking, just read through it real quick, Michael, and you can make up time. But there's no way. I've been reading over this all week, and I've had to just take pit stops at moments just to do a praise break. And so I don't imagine it's going to be any different now. But here we go. Ephesians chapter 2. What I want you to have in your heart and in your mind is where you were before Jesus rescued you. And then as we're reading through this text, I want you to think of where you are because you have been received by God himself. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, but God. That was a praise break right there, just holding it in because I want to make it to the end of this without crying. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, just pause for a moment to note the past tense in this phrase, in this statement in verse 6. It's not in the future. He says it's already done. Raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. See, this is the kind of truth that when you really wrestle with it, you're just going to need to meditate for a while because you're like, well, Lord, I'm actually seated in 
this building right now. But you're telling me I'm seated in heavenly places. Yes, Michael, because reserved is already done in me. So that, verse 7, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, which is his full possession of our broken and feeble frames, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember, listen, remember this truth, that at one time, you Gentiles also to be translated sinners in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I mean, what a bleak picture. You were just a mess, and there was no hope for you. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, the Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And here's where you could just go ahead and put your running shoes on. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Members of the household of God. Whose are you? Who are you? You are, if you have received Jesus Christ, a son and a daughter of the Most High God, there will never be another title, another phrase that will be better. There will never be anything that will supersede this truth. You are God's and God is yours. That should bring us a confidence and a boldness that we don't need to be timid, humble, but we should be confident in Christ. So if you have become a disciple, then Jesus commands it that you be baptized in his name, in the Father's name, and in the Holy Spirit because he sees you as clean. And now he says you're connected. 
people of God, remember this truth. And today, I want to challenge us all. This week, read over Ephesians 2. Meditate on this truth. Remind yourself regularly whose you are and who you are. We have to stop repeating the lies. Oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not enough. Okay. But Jesus says, because of him, you are worthy. Because he is more than enough. So which am I going to believe? What everybody else is saying about me? Or what the creator of the universe says about me? I'd be remiss if I close without saying, if you don't know Jesus, then this ceremonial dipping that Christ has commanded his disciples to do, well, it's for you. All you need to do is believe in him who is willing to put on flesh and die for your sins. And if you receive Jesus, Jesus receives you. And right now, you'll be a son and a daughter of God. And so if that is you, please come see me, David, Daniel, after service. And let us pray with you. Let us pray for you. If you do know Jesus and you've never been baptized, come see myself, David, or Daniel. I love to just say impromptu. We're just going to put a little pool right here, and we're just going to submerge death to life so that you can experience this ceremony and know that you have been received by the creator of the universe. Be excited about who you are in Christ. The greatness of God is all over you. And he's already promised us a place with him for all eternity. Let us pray together. Father, this is a truth that truly is beyond comprehension. That the creator of the universe would be willing to identify with broken and feeble people. But you said it in your word, that if we receive your son, that you will receive us and that we will be considered your children and thereby heirs with God the son. May this truth become realer in our hearts and minds this hour, that we might know that we are loved chosen, considered holy, because the blood of Jesus is greater. It's in Jesus' name we pray. We thank you. Amen.